do. I looked it up. They're the you, mid-March you get, U2's back. Are you serious? Yeah. You want to go with me? I want to go when Billy Joel is there. Okay. <laughs> is Billy Joel going to be at the Sphere? I hope so. There's, there's no plans. I hope so. Wait, for context, <laughs> though, yet. what is the Sphere? Dude, it's, where have you been? No, no, I know like, what it is. <laughs> I want to hear from Matt's perspective. It's a 20,000-seat, $2.4 billion venue that just opened up. In Las Vegas. 14 case, the largest high-definition screen in the world. It's like IMAX on steroids. Yeah, like oh, it's picture like 50 IMAX screens all together. And, but it goes all the way over the top of you. You're not looking. Yeah, that's crazy. Goes. I'll show you some videos. Have man. you it's seen the sphere? The picture of the sphere? It pops up out of the ground like that. Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah, no. They, it's like, it's, it's, it's an got eye. a screen on the outside, too. It's like an eye, or yeah. it's a basketball, or it's a moon, or... It's, cool. it's It was the best. Yeah. And all 20,000 seats, you think about tech, the sound is aimed right at that seat, all 20,000 seats. How? Yeah. They that's, have like that's over, the I think, I can't remember exactly, it was like 340,000 speakers. But place. can you see them? Because aren't you no, just they're looking the at- they're behind the screen. They're behind the screen. The LED is like, uh, push through the LEDs. Sounds they backlight the LEDs sometimes. You can see right through it. It's crazy. I don't know how it works, guys. Sounds too techy. Black for me. magic. It is black magic. It's scary. <laughs> Sounds interesting. Jesus, Jesus must be coming back. <laughs> it's the end of the world as we know it. Which, by the way, is a Christmas thought I've had this year that he came once, mm-hmm. kept the promise as a little babe. He's coming again. Yeah. This isn't the first time that he's yeah. coming back. And he knows where we live now, he knows the directions. He won't get lost. I think he's coming. Mm-hmm. You know that. So that first promise, and this time he's coming on a stallion, with the heavenly hosts, tattooed on his thigh is ah. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Not a baby anymore. Victorious <laughs> King. The Are we? Guy. Hey, dude, run it. We're we're hot. Come on, we're, run this. We're, no, we're already. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the locker room where we break down sermon stories and scripture for the race of our faith, Crossroads fam. It's great to have you as we record our Christmas special. And with me today are three Stowells. I know you're a Van Salkman now, Libby. But yes. Libby Stowell, Van Salkman now. Yes. Matt Stowell. Hello. Joe Stowell. Joe Stowell. Or Dr. Joe Stowell. Joe Stowell's great. It's great to have you guys at the table. Thanks, Craig. Glad yeah, to be thanks. here. Yeah. When you think about growing up, what were the little things that your mom would do to make Christmas special for you, Matt, and you, Libby? <laughs> Did she have any certain things? Did she make you a stocking? Did she bake a certain type of cookie? What kind of food She spent did you the eat? year by by lamplight knitting the stocking <laughs> for each sock, one of us. Pair of socks. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I honestly remember, and it's kind of a tradition we've passed on to my family a bit, is that the stockings are a big deal. Not that the, they're homemade, like what's in the stocking. That was yeah. always a huge deal. To, like the coal. Because we get always like the, like the coal you had. Coal if I got good grades. But like, um, you know, as a kid, you're so excited about Christmas morning and Christmas Eve, we could open our stockings on Christmas Eve. So that always seemed like a huge deal, like, yes, and the inside would be all kinds of random fun, from candy to a little toy or something. But I just remember the stockings were always kind of a big deal, real super fun memory. Yeah. I I think I remember a couple things. We always, before we opened the presents, my dad would read Luke 2. 
So we always basically have it memorized after all those years <laughs> yeah, of hearing right. it. But it's so you good. Try it? it was <laughs> no. <laughs> it was really good, but the pain of like the eight year old, like how long is the story yeah, again? Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We couldn't wait to get to the But it was a good like value of we don't get to the gifts before we learn about Christ and his coming. So it was Thanks, Dad. That, yeah, was, that, that was, was good. Keep us that's grounded. Happy to do it. it was that glazed look on your faces while I was reading it. And you didn't perk up until those gifts started rolling out. That was. The... <laughs> Did you try to put some emphasis into it? Yeah, no, I do. You know, when the shepherds were there and shazam, oh. the sky lit up and the, the announcement was, I try to true. stand on my head, you know, run backwards yeah. while I'm reading it. Didn't work, you know, yeah. but once those gifts, once the rat, the wrinkle of the crinkled sound of the wrapping paper started going the kids were in yeah we also, it's early early signs of their their greed and yeah. and material interests well to that point though too i think you guys were trying to you know not make it too chaotic so we would also have to the youngest would start so i i got to pick a gift and give it to somebody else so mm. you couldn't just go grab free for all the whole gifts all That's at right. once everybody else so I would go find a gift. Oh, for for I would never pick Libby first because she's the sister. <laughs> Mom, I got you a gift, and then then the next in line, Libby's turn to go yep. get a gift. Yeah, kind of get somebody we're giving right. We're not getting here. We're oh, giving are, to yeah, others. Good and, memories. Yeah. I also remember always having guests, whether it was Thanksgiving or Christmas. Mm. We always had um, people from our church, you know, that might have otherwise been lonely or. Yeah, we always had a, a place at the table for Bobby. Right. Yeah. Do you have any yeah. cool stories about those experiences over the years? Yeah, well, I think my own Christmas, my dad was a pastor, and there was an elderly widow that lived three blocks from us. And I still remember, right after we ate our Christmas lunch, my dad would put his winter coat on, put his hat on. Where are you going, Dad? And he said, I'm, I forget her name. You know, I'm going to go down and visit her because she was all alone on Christmas Day. You know, do you want to go with, you know? And of course, I'd say, I'm playing with my new toys, right? No interest at a, <laughs> as a kid at all. I wish I had that back. You know, I wish I would have gone with my dad. I mean, that was a loving Christmas gift that he gave to this widow. And I think of James' true religion is to visit the fatherless and the widows, right? And so that's one searing memory I have in my mind about my dad on Christmas Day. What about you, Matt and Libby? What, what's a memory that you have of your dad? I know he's sitting right here um, <laughs> through the years on Christmas. That besides the you. reading of Luke two, <laughs> besides the reading of Luke two, what was it like growing up in, you know, the halls and the atriums and the sanctuaries of church? Church on Sundays, right. you know, Dad's working. Yeah, well, I was gonna say like, um, and even now that I've been a pastor and specifically a worship pastor for a lot of my years in ministry, like Christmas is was always a little bit. It's a very very busy season. Crossroads is a little bit different because I I love the candlelight carol we have. Like we're not super high. We don't have to bring in cattle and sheep and flying angels from the the rafters. But <laughs> yeah, we don't have like a cantata or like right, some right. massive <laughs> festival which, of which is great and fun. But you know, sometimes Christmas season for me as a worship pastor at other churches has been like in some ways the worst season of the year or the busiest. It's not no. the worst. The super busy, super stressful eight services on Sunday morning or Saturday night, and uh, so I think in the busyness of it all, I just um, there's still always even when my dad was 
you know, a pastor and doing all those same things. Um, there was always a, just a bit of a sacredness, though, to the moment of just being family and always making time, even if the service was on Sunday morning of Christmas morning. I remember mm-hmm. we would <laughs> carve out a special time uh, just to be together and to really celebrate the true meaning. You know, even as cliche as that sounds, that's what I f- yeah. remember growing up. It wasn't just about gifts. It was about the gift of Jesus uh, coming into our world, bringing a new paradigm, bringing a new kingdom. Um, I remember remember that particularly. Yeah. Mm. And for you, Joe, as the one oftentimes doing the preaching, how did you keep that perspective through the busyness of the Christmas season when people are flocking into your church yeah. that maybe have never stepped foot in a church right. or haven't been in church for a long so time? I think from a preacher's point of view that holiday sermons are the toughest sermons, like Easter, Christmas, because the story is the same, Right. So the challenge to take this story that everybody's, you know, it's the been here, done that story in everybody's head and to make it relevant and important and impactful and to reawaken them to the true message of Christmas was always a challenge. And so I'm not sure I always handled the challenge real well, but I remember thinking to myself, I have to get people back to the power of this moment of the coming of Jesus Christ in a very familiar story that they're all used to and they've heard it their whole lives. And so I think that was the challenge of preaching. And I think the same thing with Resurrection Sunday, you know, same kind of challenge. And uh, But it was always very special. You know, we'd sang all, all the carols and everything. And by the way, I think I was listening to a CD. We have Christmas music going in our home right now, which we used to have actually when when our kids were in CDs. Yeah, I know, I know. See, yes, I am. I I admit it. And there's just two or three other people listening right now that are saying, me too, just two or three. (laughs) But, uh, you know, and I was listening to all these Christmas carols, and I thought, how many kids today would know these tunes? If they heard the tune, would they know it was a Christmas carol? Would they know the message of this tune? And maybe this is when you get a little bit older, right? You kind of fear things are getting lost, you know? But I just, you know, I loved last Sunday when we started with that fabulous Christmas carol. We all sang it right from our hearts right there. I think there's something really special about Christmas music. Yeah, absolutely. So how do we rediscover the awe and wonder of Christmas, especially as Christmas still takes center stage in our culture, right? And in the white noise of all of the other Christmas music and uh, busyness of buying presents, getting presents, going to church, coming back from church, family events, you know, it in some ways Jesus is on center stage, but as a result of him being almost on center stage, he gets pushed somehow seemingly to the wayside because it is so familiar. So what is so significant about the Christmas story and why do we have to keep that awe and wonder when we talk about the incarnation of mm. God mm. born in a manger? as an infant i just thinking about what you're saying i mean it is it is the thing right like i'm you know you get a mug that says tis he's the reason for the season like that was the big deal (laughs) the constant you know christian reminder um and maybe the guilt that comes with that if you're enjoying your gifts too much or something but i think though in it like I've loved our Advent theme we've had this year, which may, we've probably done it in a lot of years in a row, but Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, Emmanuel, 
the hope of the world has arrived on the scene. And a lot like Easter, I was thinking about this when you were talking, Trig, a lot like Easter, or Dad, you said Resurrection Sunday. Like we, we should, we celebrate Resurrection Sunday every Sunday. Every mm-hmm. Sunday is Easter. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of the same way, every, every Sunday is Christmas. Like, mm. um, but it's a spe- obviously, this is an obvious answer, but it's an obvious time to make sure we never forget that the king of the world came into the world mm. to restore and redeem the world. And it just, it's, if we don't take the time to celebrate that, it can get lost for mm. sure. Um, but I just think it's so important to remember Emmanuel, mm. God with us, for our kids to remember that and to sing the songs, to have the tradition and to own the tradition and to pass it on of the wonder, wonder of all those words that we sing, you know, so. I think one of the things that wakes up the wonder, too, is to ask ourselves a question, what would have happened if he had never come? Hmm. You know, and then start thinking about what would my life be like if he had never come? What would my world be like if he had never come? And then the sense of awe and appreciation, oh my goodness. And then to think that the divine stepped into our world. You know, like you were saying Sunday, you know, everybody wants to get to God. You know, but the wonder of it is that God came to us. He actually came out of his glory to us and born as this baby. I think there's a lot of metaphors that you can meditate on that help bring that sense of wonder back. And then that sense of wonder brings gratitude, which is, you know, thankfulness is the great therapy of life. You can't be grumpy and thankful at the same time, right? So, you know, that gratitude that this God came on this day and started a journey to the cross and an empty tomb, you know, just meditate and those kind of things I think helps. What are some of the most helpful metaphors that you've been able to employ over the years? Of him coming as <laughs> yeah, a baby, he, well, right? You said there's a lot of metaphors that yeah, right. start well, to stir that awe and wonder. Yeah, well, I think, I think the metaphor of a child mm. and what it means for a child to be born. I think the metaphor of God in human form, like that God actually took my flesh on himself mm. and yet never compromised his deity and this a unique creation. I think of the virgin birth how the Holy Spirit hovered over her and did a new creation. You know, Jesus was a new creation. This, this creation had never happened before. And interestingly, when in Genesis 1 it says that the Spirit hovered over the chaos, it's the same kind of a word that the Holy Spirit hovered over Mary and actually did an act of creation in her womb to create this God-man who would come and then go to the cross. So I think it's a lot of unique ways of opening different windows. And you know, like the Christmas count cal- the Christmas calendar that you get, what were those? The advent calendar. Yeah, the advent calendar. Yeah, you keep opening up the door, you know, of something else. And a lot of lot of windows you can open around the Christ child that I think create a whole new sense of wonder and awe. I was reading a book recently and it had it's actually about the wise men, but it had this started in in the introduction with this statement that familiarity actually breeds unfamiliarity. Mm. So like if you think you're so familiar with a story, you don't revisit it and you just stay in your unfamiliarity. Mm. And so I think even just rereading that story afresh in the quietness of your own heart mm. um, and looking at all the pieces and asking God to enter into that space with you. 
Um, because we so much, so much of us, like we, we say, we already know that story. Like you're mm-hmm. saying, how do you reintroduce it every year? And part of that is just putting aside the fact that we're so familiar and, and trying to become familiar again mm-hmm. with the story in new ways. In new times of your life, God speaks in different ways. And so over time, re-engaging and not just assuming, oh, I already know that whole story. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that's good. I think I was, Trig, maybe me and you were talking the other night at a Christmas party about your, how, your two girls and how young they are and how excited they are about Christmas. My family's at a really weird stage because everyone's like 23, 21, mm-hmm. et cetera. And they're, at some point, Christmas starts. Christmas always thought, morning starts. You know, to your lose your family the, is a little weird, actually. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad they are just kind of waking up I, to I, that I, mark. We need a lot of help, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I feel like there's that there's this lull in a family life cycle of man. We need some kid, young kids around here because kids are really what makes Christmas. Yeah, more. that's true. The way that they see. Mm the excitement and the every every it's like this feeling that they get of, of I'm going to get new toys or I'm going to be with my family or my favorite food and like mm-hmm. I think at like you know not to bring it all the way back to to Jesus in this way but when he says you know faith like a child there's something there mm. that says this is the kind of faith I want you to have in me is when you see me, you, you get it. It's a new thing. And I yeah, really beautiful. like what you're saying, Lib, just that we enter into this story, even though we've heard it so much, but how can we see it in fresh new ways? Like a, like a kid like would a on child. Sunday morning and receive the joy that can come from seeing something in, with fresh eyes. Yeah. It's really rich, Matt. I do think the pivot moment for kids though, it was for me anyway, is when your gifts were socks and underwear yeah, and right. no longer toys, right? Like, what happened to Christmas? I, don't, you know, yeah. like. I actually have gotten some requests this year on lists for socks and underwear. Yeah. So they're, they're actually getting older, yeah. They're like, I could actually really yes. use some clothes. That would be great. Some nice socks. Yeah. A new pot for the stove. Yeah, right. But going back to that um, idea of the wonder of being a child, I was hoping that would come up because one of my favorite quotes of all time is from a, a guy named G.K. Chesterton, who um, was a just a writer and a journalist in London, right, Dad? Mm-hmm. And um, died in the mid-1900s-ish. Mm. Um, and it le- I'm just gonna read it, it's a little bit longer, but just hang in. He says, because children have a bounding vitality because they are in spirit, fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They're always saying, do it again, mm-hmm. do it again. Mm-hmm. And the grown-up person then does it again and again until they are nearly dead from tiredness. Like throw me up in the air again and again, you know, and do yeah. it again, do it again. Yeah. Um, for grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony, meaning to the same thing over and over again. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately but has never gotten tired of making them the same way. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, but not us, for we have sinned and grown old, and our Father remains younger than we. To me, that quote is just mm. so powerful. Like we've, it's our sin that has made us just like tired of the right. same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. Because children are like they just love it. Christmas every year, presents, more presents, yeah. you know. And we, um, we don't have capacity for that wonder, that childlike wonder, because of like the dark things that have happened in our mm-hmm. lives in our world. And yeah, 
That's profound. Yeah. There's a quote, I have no idea who said it, but one generation accepted the gospel, the next, you talked about assumption, the next assumed the gospel, and the, mm. by the third they abandoned the gospel. Mm. And probably the most dangerous place to be is in that second category, you know, before we actually get to abandoning it, because that's the actual path to abandoning the gospel, and it's assuming it. And so one of the things that we're trying to capture at Crossroads is, uh, or trying to combat, is the assuming of the gospel. Mm. One of the things that you've had a big hand on here, Libby, at Crossroads is the purposefulness by which we've approached Advent. Mm. So what is Advent? Why do we have the candles? And what does it symbolize? Yeah, Advent is a term that basically means the coming or the appearing Um, And we use it in the church calendar to mark the time of Christmas when Jesus appeared or came to earth as a baby. And one of the great things about the church calendar is the liturgical rhythms that we've already talked about here, like Resurrection Sunday, like we're familiar with the season of Advent, which leads to Christmas. What does liturgy mean? Liturgy just means the, the rhythms that you basically go through in the year that might even remain the same, kind of like we're talking about in this monotony. But the rhythms help us, or the liturgies help us to live into the spaces that repeat throughout the year. So we have the season of Advent that leads to Christmas, And then we're also probably familiar with the season of Lent, which leads to Easter. So all of these rhythms kind of help us experience on a day-to-day basis the calendar of the church or the important things that are. And so when we step into Advent here at Crossroads, um, we don't use a lot of liturgies, like we're not that kind of a church. Um, But the creeds, like the Apostles' creeds, the liturgies, all these things are a part of church history that we've tried to introduce in a healthy way here at Crossroads. But Advent for us is every week, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, lighting a candle, which is the traditional understanding of Advent. And then each candle represents a different aspect of the coming of Christ. So it would be like hope, love, joy, and peace. And then the fifth candle is the candle that represents the light of the world, which is Jesus. So we've tried to step into every week some of those characteristics um, that Christmas is. And so this week we'll light the fourth one, which is the one of love. And then on at night of Christmas Eve, when we have that separate service that's different, we will light the final candle, which mm-hmm. represents Jesus, the light of the world mm-hmm. coming. So an opportunity, and also we've been expressing stories of people in our church body who have experienced these different aspects of mm-hmm. Christ and God. So when it says Emmanuel, God with us, well, how does he bring peace? How does he bring joy? How does he bring love? And then encouraging one another with stories of the text and stories of our lives and how he's brought those things to fruition. It's a valuable part of Advent. I mean, it's a valuable part of the service mm-hmm. that we would um, hear from each other, the stories of the kingdom of God breaking mm-hmm. into our lives. You know, using those words like joy, hope, love, peace, right, reminds me of the longing that every human Mm. has for joy and love and peace and hope, right? So look in the manger. That's what Jesus brings you. Mm -hmm. Look at that little tiny baby. 
there, you know, it's hope in a place of hopelessness, right? It's love in a place of lovelessness. It's mm-hmm. peace in a place of chaos. That, that That's one of the metaphors as you peek into that this child embodies all the things we've longed for mm-hmm. in our lives. And uh, the great gift of Christmas is that we can find our joy and our peace and our hope mm-hmm. in a hopeless world. I mean, do we live in a hopeless world or what? Every day in the news, you know, that... Jesus brings those mm. wonderful gifts to us. Mm-hmm. Trade, you and I were talking earlier today about the ancestry of oh, Jesus, Jesus, which I thought was a really interesting thought. You know, I was watching TV and there's this ad for ancestry. Give give the gift of ancestry to one of your <laughs> friends, you know, like like you can sign them up and then they can find out where they're from. And I thought about the fascinating thought about opening that advent window on the calendar that's the ancestry of this baby. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and we get that in the beginning of Matthew's gospel. And to us, that's just a list of names. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean much, but the more that you start to open each one of the individual windows on those names and see what they represent, that they are actually included in the family lineage of Jesus, it's really interesting, starting with the fact that there's four women mentioned, which mm-hmm. in that time... There's actually five. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Libby. <laughs> Thank you, Libby. Yeah. But then who's counting? Yeah. <laughs> I am. Okay, well, there's, so there's five women, but either way, even the mention of one woman would have been extremely significant because that's just not the way that they did family lineage and genealogies at that time. It would have been only men. And one of the women that sticks out to me is Rahab, specifically Mm. because you're expecting, especially in a gospel like Matthew, that is written to a Jewish audience, that all of the people mentioned would be Jewish. But here we have Rahab. There's other Gentiles mentioned as well, Mm -hmm. but she's a Gentile. She's not a Jew. Not only that, she's a social pariah, moral pariah, prostitute, and there she is. And she sits just a few verses away from somebody else named David, who was the king of Israel. He was a man of renown. Every Jew would have known who David is. He lived in a palace, and he was also a moral pariah in his own way. And they both find themselves in the lineage of Jesus. And there's more names that we could talk about. Ruth. Ruth. Yeah, Yeah, let's talk about that. Why is it significant that these names are in the genealogy Mm -hmm. of Jesus in Matthew's gospel? I think that because everybody counts with God and everybody has the potential of redemption and place in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You know, it's just not all line up the good and the famous people, right? Line up the redeemed and restored people. That's what Mm -hmm. that genealogy is all about. This is a list of redeemed and restored people. And Matthew's whole theme is the king, right? This is the lineage of a king. Like you were saying, you know, you would think like every rock star in the world ought to be in that lineage. But the lineage of our king is the lineage of the redeemed Mm -hmm. and the restored, which I think is an important lesson for us. We tend to look through this lens in our world at these, you call them pariahs, right? You know, like- That's what we call Yeah, and so we reject those. We, you know, we don't like the fact that there's cancel in this world, right? But we cancel a lot of kind of people. Like they really don't count, Like, the, but they're all targets of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ and the restoring work of Jesus Christ. And we need to look at people like that. I think Christmas teaches us that lesson. Yeah. There's the potential of new life in Christ for everybody. It's a radically inclusive list. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to manufacture uh, in our own willpower something that God already does. And when we do that, kind of like Babel, when we put ourselves in the position of God or try to ascend to his throne, we only do it in destructive ways. 
and God's already doing that. And the way that he does that is through the incarnation of Jesus, mm-hmm. his death, his resurrection. I heard it said that whole thing about Babel is a familiar ring in my mind. I heard a sermon about that recently. I'm trying to, yeah. trying to bring it back. <laughs> it was okay. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a, definitely an inside crossroads kind yeah, of yeah. a thing, right? You had to be here last Sunday to hear Trig open the word in mm-hmm. such a wonderful if way. You know, you know. <laughs> I remember um, early on and when Rod and I were first married and in the first church where we worked together that we did some um, some counseling together with one of our pastors um, because our marriage is in a rough spot. And I'll never forget one of the things that one of the pastors said, um, when you're asking for things like more peace, more hope, when you're praying to God and just saying, I need more hope, I need more peace, that he's not just like, has, he doesn't have this like wall of little vials where he pulls down the hope vial and just pours it into your life. Oh, she needs peace. I'll pull down the peace vial and pour some. He's got one vial and it's got Jesus written on it. Mm-hmm. So when you're asking for those things, God in heaven is just pouring Jesus into you because he is, like you were already saying, Dad, mm-hmm. he is all those things. He is the reason you know, he brings the hope, he brings the peace. He brings the message of the kingdom, that which is your saying, mm-hmm. like loving others, diversity, inclusion. We get the power to do those kinds of things because God has this one vial in heaven and it's Jesus. And we ask, he's mm-hmm. the one, um, we become more like him. Mm-hmm. We don't just become more hopeful or more peaceful or more inclusive. We're actually becoming in those moments more like Jesus because Amen. that's who he is and what he stood for. Uh, so Sherwood, Sherwood Wirt was a chaplain in the U.S. Air Force, and uh, I think that he captures the mood of the world that uh, Jesus was born into in an unbelievable way in one paragraph. And I read that this this week, and it just shocked me because you want to talk about a world in which there was a permeating sense of hopelessness. Just listen to how he describes the world that Jesus is born into. It sounds a lot like our world today. He says, the people of that time were being heavily taxed and faced every prospect of a sharp increase to cover expanding military expenses. The threat of world domination by a cruel, ungodly, power-intoxicated band of men was ever just below the threshold of consciousness. Moral deterioration had corrupted the upper levels of society and was moving rapidly into the broad base of the populace. Intense nationalistic feeling was clashing openly with new and sinister forms of imperialism. Conformity was the spirit of the age. Government handouts were being used with increasing lavishness to keep the population from rising up and throwing out the leaders. Interest rates were spiraling upward in the midst of an inflated economy. External religious observances were considered a political asset and abnormal emphasis was being placed upon sports and athletic competition. Racial tensions were at a breaking point. In such a time and amidst such a people, a child was born to a migrant couple who had just signed up for a fresh round of taxation and who were soon to become political exiles. And the child who was born was called, among all other things, Emmanuel, God Mm. with us. Mm. Wow. I mean, and you talk about the types of stress and anxiety that people are facing in our world today, the very people that are going to walk in on a Sunday morning to hear the good news about a Savior that was born to us. People are dealing with heavy inflation right now. A lot of people are struggling to pay bills. We're looking at the world that is in chaos right now with two two wars going on. Um, we live in a culture that loves sports, mm. and I love sports, but 
it can oftentimes just be a distraction to what's mm -hmm. going on in the world. And I was shocked to read that mm. because I think it's so easy to distance ourselves from the world of the Bible and forget that the ancients weren't so ancient, that mm -hmm. after all, we're just people, and that these people were looking for the same type of hope. And it had been mm. hundreds of years since God had spoken into that dark place. Here comes Emmanuel. So I don't know if that stirs anything in you, sure but it, it really ministered to me. Yeah, it sure does. And I think we have to remember that Jesus was born into a very hostile environment, too. Right? Like the slaughter of the innocents. Herod kills all the baby boys under two in his day. That's why they, they had to go to Egypt, right? To avoid mm -hmm. that and to think that Jesus himself was a refugee, right? Fleeing out of harm's way like refugees today. And uh, there's so many lessons in that for us. It just, it's, it's profound reality that we live in a hostile world. And that there are refugees in our own town. One thing I love about Crossroads is that we've cared about the refugees in our town, right? We care about the needs in our town, the hopelessness to homeless people that we serve. And uh, I just, I, we love this church so much. It, you know, we're kind of stuck. We have to go here because our son-in-law is the pastor and Matt does some worship leading here. And But it's a great stuck because we love that we're just not in this church bubble you know, looking at each other all the time. But as Rod says, this is the locker room, and 90% we're out bringing Jesus, the hope and love and the joy of Jesus, to a really hurting, hurting world. And Jesus was born into a hurting world. That's what you were saying. I think that's So we sing the carols, right? Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still you lie, how sweet you are. It really wasn't, though, the little town of Bethlehem, you know, was in a tough culture, in a really, and he was born into a hostile world. Yeah, and I think that's encouraging because I think we, we're tempted to be so doomsday-ish about our own society. Exactly. I know our kids think that we're so doomsday-ish, and I remember thinking my parents were kind of doomsday-ish, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, our kids are like, it's so bad, it was so much better when we were growing up, you know, and it's just, you feel this like slide, you think things are sliding so far um, south, but really to hear that like you said, Trig, the world that Jesus was born into had a lot of those same pressures, is that he still, he he knows it, he sees it, he's lived it, he's walked it, he can relate to us, and he's present in it. He was then, and he is now. He's God with us. So in a world filled with so much unrest, one of the things that we talked about in the Advent season is we say that Jesus is our peace. How do we... <laughs> Matt's pointing to his dad to answer this one. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually kicking Matt under the table telling him to answer it. <laughs> oh, I love it. No, but uh, that's a beautiful thing to say. Mm -hmm. But if someone were to come up to you, Dr. Stoll, <laughs> lob this one your way. How, how would you explain I've been to them Joe how, up till now, but yeah. all of a sudden no, this tough question, doctor. I'm Dr. Stoll. Right? Exactly. Yeah, like. But how, how would you, in a relevant way, ex explain to that person how they can receive the peace that Jesus yeah. has to offer them despite the circumstances that they may be facing. Yeah, and the peace is not that the circumstances will go away. The peace is what I know in the midst of circumstances. Be still and know that I am God, that God works through my circumstances, works even through my the trials in my life, that God is a good God. He has a plan for me. That, that in the long, we have to be people of the long view, mm. that in the end, we win. 
and eternity is our blessed gift from God. And those things quiet our heart. It's the quietness. It's the release from anxiety that God is sovereign. He is in control, that he will use even negative things in my life for my own growth and for his glory. And that ultimately, after the and you know, he sent his son who suffered, right? Christmas was the beginning of a trek, a trail of suffering for Jesus Christ because there was a good end in sight. And so I think it's not that I'm relieved, but it's that I have a quietness. Now I've got a confidence in my heart that brings me that peace in the midst of trouble. And that's an incredibly relevant message in the midst of an anxious society. Mm-hmm. And we have so many things that are driving that anxiety. And I just think that, I, I don't know of a more relevant message than that. Yeah. But there's I, actually a peace that you can find in the midst of, and you know, we talk about Jesus as the light of the world. And light obviously lights up the darkness, but it doesn't remove obstacles before us. Yeah, you true. Know, Good in point. Life. It yeah. just shines a light on those obstacles, yeah. but it doesn't, mm-hmm. light can't remove an obstacle. It can't right. pick something up. But it can get a, give you a whole new perspective on that obstacle, right? Exactly. That, that obstacle is really useful and that that obstacle was there for a purpose. And so that's what the light, that's what the light of Jesus does. I think, too, we can move this into maybe the practical realm of what does it mean to be a family during Christmas. And I was totally—this is like maybe a little shout-out and encouragement to all the parents that have a lot of little kids going crazy and you're doing all this stuff. Sometimes I think one of the hard things about parenting is you don't know the impact until, you know, 15, 20 years down the road. My 19-year-old son, Eli, he's probably going to—what's up, Eli? Um, (laughs) Eli, Steve Jobs. (laughs) (laughs) He uh, Go Blue. We, we, we had a little bit of a hard time. We always try to have a tradition where we, you know, decorate, like a lot of people do, you decorate the Christmas tree on the Sunday after Thanksgiving and wherever our schedule was crazy. And then it got pushed back, pushed back. We finally did it and we had it scheduled one night and then we had to cancel. And Eli, my 19 year old son came home and he was like, wait, we're not going to do that right now. I thought we were going to do it. And I'm like thinking this kid does not want to turn on nat king cole and turn the fireplace on and get his little box out of he's like dad that's my favorite part (laughs) i was like are you kidding me (laughs) i would never know you know but i think i think and two you know everybody not like we were talking about earlier like my mom and dad did a good job of creating a peaceful place at home during christmas and to rep to represent the, the peace that christ brings and i know that um, home is not always peaceful for yeah. everybody yeah. and not everybody had a parent that like made these awesome traditions. And I'm not even talking about big traditions. I'm not talking, you got to like have this full thing of food and cake. And, but I think for every parent just to say, what are some simple traditions that I can do hmm. that provide a peaceful place? Cause I think your kids will lean into that. And if you are doing that, keep doing it because mm-hmm. it just means a lot to, mm-hmm. it's, it is the story of Christmas to provide family. I think in a lot of it and to provide mm-hmm. a peaceful place. Mm-hmm. Anyway, just an yeah. encouragement, like, like carry on parent, kids with parents, create special yeah. places, create special memories. They don't have to be crazy. And if yeah. you didn't grow up in a tradition um, of where a parent was doing that for you, you can start your own, start yeah. your own tradition, yeah. start your own little things that are quirky that your family can do and bring that kind of peace to the chaos 
the special moments into your home? So I think Christmas is a stressful season for a lot of people. So just to hitchhike on what you're saying, like I think it would be a great thing for a family, especially a husband and wife, say, how can we de-stress Christmas? Because we bring the stress of Christmas at shopping, Christmas cards, decorating, all the kinds of jobs and things we have to do, right? And how can you de-stress your Christmas? You know, what would be a way to make it a more peaceful it's because sometimes we, we're so stressed out we come into christmas morning we're grumpy right like yeah. we can't wait for it to be over kind of a thing because it's one thing i like about thanksgiving thanksgiving's so uncluttered isn't mm. it it's so peaceful it's so like and i'm you know it's totally out on our world that starts christmas decorations after halloween like wait a minute you know let's not run over thanksgiving but I just think it would be a great act. I'm not sure even what I'd suggest that you do to de-stress your Christmas. Mm. But if you would de-stress it, you might be able to bring a little more peace, right, to your family and to your home. And yeah. I always think um, in parenting that they don't really re- – they'll remember the highlights. But what, they, what my kids have remembered as they've gone to college is more like the rhythmic mm-hmm. things that you've done every year. You know, like mm-hmm. maybe one year you did something super special, but – like Eli, he just remembers the things that you repeated, the mm-hmm. things that you did. And that's kind of the same with liturgy in the church. Like those are the yeah. things that we repeat. Those are the things that we want to remember or mark the time by. Yeah. But yeah, I think just a verse for parenting that always has put steel in my own spine is do not grow weary in doing good for in due time mm-hmm. you will reap what you have sown. So mm-hmm. even though sometimes those things are tiring and you have to you know put thought and effort into it, in the end, you will reap the fact that you have created, mm-hmm. if at all possible, start your start your own simple traditions mm-hmm. that yeah. your kids can remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think about how the human body works best when it's in a circadian rhythm. Mm. There's a rhythm to the way that we live and sleep and eat that our body grows accustomed to and actually generates health in our physical Circadian, nature. circadian. What a totally cool word. Word yeah, like, is cool word. what is Crusadian? <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I just wonder if there is, is a circadian? reason. Circadian, circadian. I don't know. I, I could be. It might not even be a word. <laughs> but there is a rhythm of yes, celebration right, exactly. that God gave His people of yeah. festivals. And festivals, I would imagine yeah. that they had some of the same excitement that we now have mm-hmm. for right. basically our one big Super Bowl oh, for sure. in the American yeah. culture, which is this Christmas thing that we do. And like you said, a lot of there's actually more stress sometimes associated with it. And I think that is why it's important that we continue the tradition and we continue the uh, digging in deep every single year into this story and we keep that rhythm alive and create new rhythms of celebration because we become what we celebrate. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's the culture of a company, the culture of a church, you become what you celebrate. Mm-hmm. And so if Jesus takes center stage at Christmas um, and all of the things that that brings with it, that, I don't know, that's just the word picture that goes in my mind that as a body, as a church, we grow into that thing. See, and I think one of those rhythms ought to be in community, like you're just saying, like coming to the Christmas Eve service. Yeah, your family, your whole family. You coming? Every, I'll be there. Every year, you know, our family comes to the, and these kids grow up remembering 
every Christmas Eve yeah. service, the candles and everything. That's that's the rhythm of community. I'm not in this thing alone. You know, I'm the only person in my block that's reading Luke chapter two before we have to open our. You know, it's this rhythm and coming to church. You know, through the Advent, these yeah. four Sundays, and we're singing "Joy to the World." What a boisterous announcement! You know, I love that carol, "Joy to the World," that we're boisterous about it. All these things build rhythms for our kids and the memories of our kids in our, in their lives. As Matt turns around and checks on the board, whether it's on the set list for this Sunday. <laughs> like, I think we're singing that a few times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, one of the things that people probably don't realize, or maybe, and I didn't certainly, and I grew up going up, going to some Christmas services, uh, is the some symbolism of everybody lighting that candle huh. during um, the singing of Silent Night. That it's, mm. There's actually more going on mm. there than simply the Aesthetics. aesthetic of yeah. the room being lit up with mm-hmm. candles. So I'll lob another one your way. Yeah, Joe. What What are we saying? Impl- what are we What are we saying without using words when we all light a candle together mm. and light up a dark room? Yeah, with well, a bunch I, of individual candles. So I think if you don't say anything, it probably doesn't mean much, or it means everything different to everybody. But if you introduce it, that when this child was born, he was born into a really dark world. We live in a really dark world. And he made this bold claim that he was the light of the world. And look the difference that light makes. Let's all light our candles. So if you, if you context it, then you've got a message, right? If everybody's just lighting a candle like, oh, I lit a candle, you know, then it means a thousand things to a thousand people. So, Yeah, I don't know who's start. I mean, it should go Sunday night. I don't know when this is going to be released, but at our candlelight service. I remember us, the first candle should be lit off the middle candle of the Advent candles. Mm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then that candle, the light of the world candle of Jesus Christ is then passed and spread through the auditorium. So let's make sure we do that because yes, that's what's supposed to happen. Yeah, come on, Trey. Yeah, but there's even, like you're saying, there's even more to that than the, like, we get the light of Jesus in us and then we pass that light yeah. to the person next to us. So there's a lot of um, symbolism there of the the kingdom of heaven coming, that Jesus came as the light of the world, we've internalized it personally and we're giving it away. Mm-hmm. And as then collectively, because we've given it away, the light just shines brighter and brighter into the darkness because his kingdom is ever expanding and ever shedding light into dark places. So I, I love the beautiful metaphor that that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll for sure do that Sunday night. I can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be great. You know, I think I think it's so important that we present an attractive, winsome gospel, not a pugnacious gospel to Explain the world. Because I think a lot of times we come across as being mad about our culture, being angry about our culture, and the world looks at us, they're just mad losers. That's all they are. They're just angry losers. And I think we totally destroy the power of the gospel when yeah. it's like that. You know, we are people who, we're, first of all, we're not losers. We've won. Yeah, we've, we've read the last chapter, right? So we're not losers. And, you know, what did we expect? Jesus said the world's a dark place, right? We've been delivered from the domain of darkness. So what did we expect? And now we get to bring the light of the gospel in, and we ought to be people who are winsome and attractive in our lives. People ought to be saying, you know, how did you get like, I'd like to kind of be like you, right? 
You know, yeah. but if you come across mad about everything and mad about your world, they're going, I don't want to have anything to do with that, you know. So that's what I'm, I mean about being winsome and attractive and at the same time faithful. You yeah. know, you don't compromise what you believe, but you're faithful and you wrap that faithfulness in an attitude that draws people to Christ and doesn't send them away. So how do we do that? Matt? <laughs> well, I think it's just an attitude check. Right? Yeah. Spirit check, you know, like. But why aren't we to be upset about, like, how can we well, live in a dark different. world and not be okay. upset the, about the world, but also still speak truth into that world? Okay, wait. Thank you. No, like I've, I, I think I have this one. Okay. I got this one. <laughs> and that's safe. Your, your kids are in the room. So, <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, we could grieve. I think it's legitimate to grieve what's happened in our culture. Yeah and to be sad about what's happened in our culture. But to be mad at this culture and to be mad at people who manage this culture is not a good way to open the door to the gospel to them. They need Christ. By the way, all these pagans who are managing the darkness in this culture need Jesus, right? You know, mm-hmm. So if I'm mad at them, then I'm in a fight with them. Yeah. And there's no way, you know, it just it slams the door shut, right? Mm-hmm. So... What do you I think, think, Matt? I think I love That wasn't good enough, Libby? No, it was really good. I, just to piggyback off him, I feel like it. <laughs> yeah, well, I think what you're saying, Dad, is that no one's probably ever received Jesus by fighting over whether he's saying Merry Christmas or not. Yeah, right. Yelling yeah. at them and saying, I'm going to say it. I mean, yeah, I don't right. know if that's ever won anyone to the uh, the good. So, but I, you know, I love when Jesus says you got to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Mm-hmm. And there's something in that posture that mm. it feels not a place of strength, but also just innocent though, and wide eyed and curious mm. and, and to want to ask somebody if they're, you know, like if they're, why don't I don't so, Oh, like, well, what do you celebrate? Yeah. Right. You know, like, but I, I think there can be an, an innocence to our posture while also being wise and mm. very in control. So I just love that posture of Jesus. That's that that wise as serpent and innocent. I don't know exactly the passage he says that in, but mm-hmm. it's, so, it's it's helped me yeah. navigate a lot of things. Yeah. So I'd love to take the conversation in another direction. We're sitting around the table with people that don't know Jesus this Christmas season. We're at different family functions. I think a humble curiosity about that person's life, yeah. asking them questions where they're mm-hmm. at, and then looking for strategic places to mm. administer the ointment of the gospel to mm-hmm. wounds that they might be experiencing in their lives is one of the most effective ways to share Jesus, especially in a season like this. Right. Rather than, here is my message, and this is what I have to tell you. Yeah. Um, sorry, Quinn, for hitting the, t- <laughs> for hitting the table. But... but you know, people are hurting. People want people. Mm-hmm. Like you said, all, all of the main uh, pillars of Advent are deep longings of the human heart. We want mm-hmm. love, joy, peace, and hope. Go ahead. Matt. Yeah, I just, we talk about this a lot at Crossroads and the staff levels, that people want the kingdom. Mm-hmm. They just don't know the king. They want mm-hmm. the things that Christ brings, like what you're mm-hmm. saying. This Good hope point. and this peace and this love is is what they and like, what a better way than Christmas to say, like, can I introduce you to the king, the guy that brought all yeah. of this to our mm-hmm. world? The world literally didn't know equality yes. until Christ came on the scene. The world didn't literally, in a lot of ways, didn't know value of women until Christ came on the scene. Mm-hmm. They want all the benefits and they love the benefits of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. But they don't they want just the need king. to know the king. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just need to show them who the author of this, of mm-hmm. this piece is from. So, yeah. Could it be, could it be true? 
It yeah. is true. Yeah. yeah. And let me tell you let why. Let me tell you about him. And, and that's why we need to be, you know, the gospel, the incarnation of Jesus gives us no reason to be proud mm. or arrogant mm. in the way that we share that message. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, it has to be backed up by not just Christmas, but 365 days of living in your world and living Jesus out in your world. I think, I think that, you know, Jesus says, you know, let your good lights, let your light shine, which are your good works, which then people see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And the, the good works are acts of benefit toward others, acts of love toward others. I think that if we're doing our job right, 365 days a year, our neighbors will say, I don't get Christians, but this neighborhood's a lot better place because they live here. The people in the office will say, you know, I don't get Christians, but this office is a lot better place because Christians work here. Mm. You know, I think that's the goal of bringing Jesus through our lives, what we're like, our love for others, and this whole light that Jesus brings into our lives, that we bring it then to them as well. Yeah. That's a good Amen. word. 365 days of Christmas, Christmas bringing. Yep. Yeah. Bring the gift of Jesus 365 days to your world. Yeah. Let your light shine. This little light of mine. Let's sing. No, with, we with, can't. Absolutely. <laughs> with the motions and everything. <laughs> Hide it under a bushel. No. No. How, so how do we understand an incomprehensible story as good as the one that God writes? That's such an incontradiction. How do you understand what's incomprehensible? I know. Because if it's incomprehensible, well, so you can't understand it. The angels long to look at these things. But yes, that's we, true. We don't. We can't, we can't possibly, I don't know, I, I, as we've just been having this conversation, it, it, it becomes, the more you look into uh, the Christmas story, mm. the more you realize you don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's a mystery, isn't it? Yeah. It's a deep mystery. And I love the mysteries. Of, I think we always want to get everything figured out. You know, if we could figure everything out, we would be God. <laughs> and that would irritate Marty a lot if I was God. So, But there's a certain joy to the mystery. This is deep. It's rich. There's a mystery here. I think that's an attractive part of my walk with Christ and my time in the Word of God, that there are just some mysteries. And the wonderful, you know, the day will come when all the, it's kind of like watching a mystery movie, right? And it's like, whoa, and then it all gets resolved at the end. Okay, now I understand it. That, that that'll, that'll be a good thing about heaven, I think. Libby, can you just share one experience growing up around Christmas that was transformative for you and your faith? Yeah, well, I would say, and this might not be what you're looking for, but I would actually just say the, the repetition in our home. Mm-hmm. of the things that we've talked about. I can't point to one specific event that was transformative, but the fact that as a family we went to church every you know, every Christmas and the fact that we read Luke too and the fact that we kept Christ in the center as best as we could in the midst of the hubbub and excitement, I think that is the transformative thing for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that if I look back on a, a childhood without, without the gift of Jesus— with just presents or Santa Claus, that how different my life would be. 
And so I think just the gift of Jesus at mm. Christmas is the transformative power of this season that we're in. And that's kind of obvious, but that's like, honestly, it, it like if you say familiarity breeds unfamiliarity, which is what you are just kind of saying is that this mystery is so deep. But if we just take it on the surface of, you know, consumerism, commercialism, Santa, like this is all familiar, but really if you don't assume it's familiar and you dig a little deeper, the unfamiliarity just expands mm. and the, the awesomeness of it and the wonder of it mm. just gets bigger and bigger. And to me, that is um, the most amazing part of Christmas. If we can keep that center, yeah. that's hard to do. Well, my family loves Jesus now, and that's a beautiful thing. And it's an amazing gift. And it was like God lit one candle at a time mm. in my family. And I watched that fire just come alive. Mm. And, uh, you know, I could speak from my own experience. I lived a very directionless life, and that's what living in darkness is. You're blind. You're just kind of stumbling and fumbling around. And there's a lot of people that feel that way. And so for me, I remember the first Christmas after I became, became a Christian, and I, I just wept. Because I couldn't believe, that goes back to my question, how do you understand something that is so incomprehensible? And obviously, I know that's a contradiction, but that's kind of the tension that we live in as Christians, that if these are the things that the angels long to look at, like, mm. well, we can spend our entire lives just gazing into the beauty and wonder and majesty of this. Could mm. it be so that God so loved us that he became like us so that not only do we have salvation, but when we go through the circumstances of life that seem to throw us off our game, to get us off our, um, that make us stumble, that we know that we don't just have a high priest that conquered those things, but he experienced those things mm. as well, that he actually has compassion for mm. those things because compassion just means to suffer with. And we serve a savior that was willing to come into our world and suffer the things that we suffer, mm -hmm. be tempted in the ways that we are tempted. For me, that was when the lights came on, that mm. God isn't just God, but he's actually knowable. And the only way that I know that God is knowable is because of Christmas. Mm. If Christmas didn't exist, then there's no way that I would know, I wouldn't, I would be able to know him yeah. unless he came to me and revealed himself to me. And that's the experience of every Christian is there is that moment where the lights come on and God reveals himself mm. to that person's heart. And uh, yeah, that's what uh, Christmas means for me. And now to be able to walk that out with a family that loves Jesus is it's totally redefined what mm -hmm. all of our traditions mean. Mm. So. Yeah, I got a little preachy there, but... That was good. Thanks. But, uh, yeah, I'm grateful for this conversation. Hopefully it serves our people. And uh, I think if you're listening to this and you're in a dark season, I just want to encourage you. Um, maybe you're not the person walking in a dark season, but you know someone who is. Invite them in. Be the light of Christ for that person. I'm so encouraged by the story of your dad, Joe. Um, what are those people in our lives mm -hmm. might be a challenge that we need to invite into those mm -hmm. communal spaces of love and joy and celebration. And then if we are that person, have the humility to say to a brother and sister in Christ, like, 
I just need you in my life right now in a new way and let them be the light of Christ to you. Yeah. Amen. You got anything to add there? Nope. That was a, that was a good, Beautiful. just amen. Just like amen and amen. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Merry Christmas. Crossroads. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, yeah, Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. We love exactly. you. And yep. we're great. I'm grateful. I think this is awesome that you guys shared the time and let oh, us into your a little bit of your, yeah. your family dynamics. Working hard on it. <laughs> so Merry Christmas. This is the locker room where we break down stories, scripture, and sermons for the race of our faith. Uh, hit follow and the notification bell if this podcast has been serving you. And we have a new Instagram page that Haley is working hard on. So if that's your thing, there you go. There's another way to stay connected with the podcast. We love you, Crossroads. Have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.